You've heard us talk about The Last Dance on previous podcasts, a documentary that takes a thorough look at the evolution of the Chicago Bulls from the day they drafted Michael Jordan. This docuseries has helped many sports fans get through this difficult period. But what if a story like that was told in a day, focusing on one sport, pre-pandemic? Hockey 24 has done just that, a first-of-its-kind documentary telling unique stories from a number of hockey communities across Canada, all filmed on a single day. Natalie Spooner and Cassie Campbell-Pascal are Canadian ice hockey players. Both have won multiple Olympic medals for their country. They joined Donovan Bennett on the Sports on Pause podcast to discuss this new project, how their lives have changed since the COVID-19 outbreak, and what they envision for women's hockey. Well, if you are like me, you're dying for some live sports on your television, some sports of any kind on your television. And a recent poll by Angus Reid revealed 59% of Canadians say the sport that they're missing the most is hockey in a hockey crave nation that's not that surprising well coming to your tv screens shortly via scotiabank and sportsnet will be hockey documentary on a single day of hockey in canada two people who are part of the doc who are featured in it and who are a big part of the hockey conversation in our country both past and present are joining me and that would be natalie spooner and cassie campbell pascal and first of all because this has been such a weird period for most people so it's nice that we get some sports back and some normalcy but first of all before we talk about the film and how your careers are going how are you guys doing personally natalie how have you been through out this period yeah i mean i think Obviously, when it all started, I was devastated with the news about our world championships being canceled. And that was really the first kind of sporting event that got canceled. And it almost felt unfair. But I think as things have progressed, it's obviously something so much bigger than sport. And then just really trying to keep busy. Uh, I've been doing lots of workouts, lots of walking, some work around the house. Uh, so really just, you know, staying in shape and looking forward to that moment when we can get back on the ice and kind of feel that freedom of skating down the ice with the wind in your hair. <laughs> you can't really mimic that anywhere else. I don't know, Spoons, you've been doing some rollerblading. I've seen you rollerblading <laughs> pretty fast outside. You've shown some videos. and I am not as comfortable on rollerblades, for sure. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, some of the same things Natalie talked, you know, I was supposed to go to the World Championship with the team and and then just head on into the NHL playoffs. And so your life just kind of... Uh, you know, initially you're kind of like, really, how big of a deal this is? And then obviously we all know the severity of it and people are losing their lives. And so, you know, hockey kind of doesn't even seem important at that time. And, you know, for me personally, I kind of went off the grid. I'm not going to lie. I went off the grid for about two, three weeks. I wasn't really on social media. I wasn't watching the news. I I kind of took advantage, if you will, of a mandated break that I probably never would have taken. And uh, just spend time with my family and, you know, I'm homeschooling my daughter, Brooke, in grade four and, um, you know, did stuff around the house, working out, having some fun in that sense. But, you know, now, you know, you realize how lucky I, you are to be working in hockey. And so you're starting to really miss it and miss watching sports, miss watching hockey and, um, you know, just hoping that the world can get back to a safe place again. You're not the only one in your household working in hockey obviously your husband brad pascal assistant gm the calgary flames because you guys are so involved in sport you're often away at this time of year what has that been like being in the same house at the same time so often 
Well, I think like all married couples, we have our moments, but, uh, you know, I think for us, it's being home at this time of year with our daughter. I mean, normally it's, it's a set of our parents that come in and help us through the Stanley cup playoffs. And we don't even know where we're going to be. We don't even know how long we're going to be away. And so I think she's really appreciating us kind of being home at this time of year. And, and, um, we've kind of had a lot of fun as a family. And I think that's something that we've both put into perspective is that, you know, we're lucky to be in hockey, but boy, we do travel a lot. And so to be home with her and sort of spend that extra time with her and, you know, you just try to take the positives. I think that's an athlete mindset. And I'm sure Spoons is the same way where you just try to take the positives out of everything. And, you know, our hugs are lasting a little bit longer. And, you know, our, our bedtime routine with Brooke, you know, we're, we're laying down and cuddling with her a little bit longer. And so you're, you know, you're taking it the time to kind of appreciate those little things. But, um, you know, at our house, we get daily updates on what the NHL is going to do, obviously, with my husband's job. And so that's a roller coaster, because that changes almost daily. And, um, you know, so just trying to support each other, you know, sort of spiritually, in a sense, and, and keep each other's spirits up, you know, through this, and, and at the same time, spending time with neighbors and trying to keep their spirits up and or talking to them on the phone or driveway, you know, drinks or whatever. And, and so, you know, just everyone, I think, just trying to keep each other's spirits up. And that's what we're doing here at home. Aside from the daily updates from the NHL, what you described sounded pretty similar to what many Canadians are going through and many Canadians in the hockey community are going through. This film takes a look at a day in the life of hockey in our country, 24 hours. And that day is November 17th, 2019, which right now seems like a really, really long time ago because things were different. Natalie, when you saw that snapshot, many snapshots of a day in the life of hockey in our country via the film, what were your first thoughts? You know, first of all, on November 17th, I was able to go up to Churchill, Manitoba, you know, to film with a film crew up there for the documentary. And it was an amazing experience. The community there, you just saw how they really had to come together because their hockey rink had actually broke down and they had no hockey rink and they built an outdoor rink probably within a week. Uh, they had all the community. They had the firefighters come in and flood it. You know, we painted it. It was amazing. And it was probably one of the most Canadian moments I've ever felt out there skating on that outdoor rink that the community had built, um, you know, that they all came together for this one day to make sure that, you know, we could film something amazing there. And I'm sure the community used it um, long after that also. But then watching the documentary, I mean, it was amazing. I think they really captured it from so many different points of view. Whereas, you know, when I think of hockey, I really think of it as a player. That's, I'm still kind of in that mindset. I, you know, I grew up, I, you know, I was going to the rink. I've always gone to the rink. And you get to now see it, you know, from the parents' perspective. Um, you get to also see, you know, blind hockey. You get to see uh, sledge hockey. There's so many different things. And it really made me think back and it's kind of funny it's kind of come full circle because my brother just had twins so the other day or when he had twins this was in January my mom was you know reminiscing and she was pulling out all of our baby stuff and she's like oh these were the cards you got when you were a baby and I was like who are these people she's like oh they're your oldest brother um hockey teammates parents and so it's like it's kind of crazy how you know my parents came from England they had a kid they didn't really know anyone but all of a sudden the hockey community really became their friends um, and those were the people that really supported them, you know, through having children or whatever it was. So that was um, really cool to kind of see how other families um, experience the same things. And really, I think that this movie can relate to everyone, you know, because there's so many different points of view of how hockey affects people. And I think everyone can really connect to it. And for you, Cassie? 
Well, I, I think, you know, we're lucky in the sense that, you know, we get to cover elite level hockey and, and Natalie Spoons is, is still playing elite level hockey. And we're very fortunate to be in those positions. And, you know, sometimes you're in those NHL arenas and you're traveling around and you kind of get caught up on elite level hockey and, and you forget about the grassroots level. And I think that's what makes, you know, the Scotiabank Hockey 24 so special is it's kind of produced by Canadians. It's kind of produced by real hockey families who get up at 5.30 in the morning and what they experience. And, you know, some of the, the little things in the documentary, like they show a variety of players zipping up their bag. I mean, how many times have Spoons and I done that over the years where we've simply packed our hockey bags, zipped the bag, and you kind of, you take those moments for granted. And yet it's such a big Canadiana hockey moment where the kids are packing their bags and everyone's getting up at 5.30. And I think that's the really unique thing. Of course, you know, there's producers who put this all together behind the scenes to make sure the stories are told. But really, if you think about it, this is footage from Canadians about what hockey means to them. And so when I was watching it, it, it served as a reminder to me of my minor hockey days and what hockey meant to me. And looking back and now having a daughter in hockey and, and she, you know, was in Calgary on November 17th, which happened to be her birthday. And she was participating in Scotiabank Girls Hockey Fest. And, you know, so for me, I've kind of come full circle where I've gone through that, you know, minor hockey level to the elite level. And now I'm back at minor hockey again. And it's been refreshing uh, to be reminded of what hockey should be about for our kids. And that's about having fun and producing good people rather than just producing great athletes. I love that the film showcases uh, the perspective of females and female voices as part of the hockey community. As females, did you always feel like a welcomed part of the hockey community? I guess I was pretty lucky that in the Toronto area when I started playing, there was options for girls to play. Like my parents didn't know about girls hockey when they first came because I had three older brothers and they all played. So my first year of hockey, I actually played boys hockey and I hated it. <laughs> I quit hockey after my first year. And now it's pretty crazy that uh, my parents were like, you still have to learn to skate. So I would go to power skating every weekend and everyone else would be in their hockey gear, all the boys, and I would go in my snowsuit. And eventually another girl showed up um, and her name was Jessie Vela. She actually still plays hockey now. She played on my Toronto Furies team and she plays in the PWHPA now. Uh, and she was wearing her hockey equipment. So at the end of that session, I told my parents, well, she's wearing her hockey equipment. I want to wear mine too. So the next lesson, I showed up in my hockey equipment and she was like, you play hockey? And I was like, yeah, I do. And so she invited me to be on her girls team. And then I got into girls hockey by the time I was five. So really, if it wasn't for her, I may not be playing hockey still. But after that, I mean, playing on a girls team, I, I felt very welcome. And I think that it was really probably the atmosphere that I um, loved about playing girls hockey. And, you know, I had the three older brothers at home that we would battle it out on the rink, backyard rink. And, you know, I loved playing with them and the competition, but I loved you know, the friendships that I was able to make through hockey and the fun uh, that I had. And I think that even now when I go, you know, to Scotiabank Girls Hockey Fest and I see all the little girls that are just having a blast, you know, still working hard, but having a blast, it's really those moments that I'm like, wow, this is, you know what it's about. And I should be going out on the ice and having just as much fun as them, you know, loving the game. You know, I think sometimes, you know, when we get so competitive, it's, it's easy to get down on yourself or, you know, to get in your head and those moments are really special to me when I get those opportunities to go on with the girls because they just have such a love for the game and just the smiles on their faces. I'm like, that's, you know, what this is all about. 
I grew up in you know, obviously a different generation, but uh, I started playing hockey in the United States, which many people don't actually know about. And I think if my father never got transferred back here through work, I could have played for Team USA. But I lived in New Jersey with my family, and my dad was transferred there for work, and I wasn't allowed to play hockey. You know, it, it was figure skating, and that's what you did. And you know, my parents bought me the greatest figure skates money could buy. I'm sure. You know, they were you know supportive in that sense, and. Uh, but I hated every moment of it. You know, I, I liked being on the ice, but I couldn't stand the fact that I was wearing white skates. And, and no disrespect to figure skaters because they skate way better than we do. But um, it just wasn't for me. And I had an older brother who played and there was a girl on his team named Jennifer Minkus. And our families were really close. And I hung out with her little sister and my brother hung out with her. And, you know, she was my final argument. Like, mom, dad, Jennifer plays. Like, look how cool she is. And so why can't I play? And I think it was just so new and they, you know, they didn't want me to get hurt and they, you know, they just didn't understand how much I loved it and I wanted to play. And, you know, my first year, I don't even think the boys that I played with knew I was a girl until the swimming party at the end of the year. You know, they just didn't care. We were all kids and we were just playing and, you know, then eventually, you know, parents have things to say and, and those types of things. But I just remember loving the game and I don't remember, I think I remember hearing the negativity but I don't remember really listening to it. You know, I was just out there having a blast and it never, you know, I think there's little voices in the back of my head that those negative things have always kind of motivated me over the years, but it's not something that has ever gotten me down because I just love the game so much. And, you know, we were told my generation girls shouldn't play like that. We were made fun of. We, we were told we'll never, there's nowhere for us to go. We'll never be any good. And, you know, I remember stepping on the ice, my first Olympics and, thinking to myself that I've just proved all these people wrong, you know, and so did my teammates and so did my generation. And um, so, sure, we had these moments where we had to fight for ourselves. And as you know, we, we continue to have those moments. But when you love the game of hockey, it accepts you. It, it just has a way of accepting you. And it, it has a way of uh, bringing people together. And yeah, it has its issues like everything else. But I think generally it's a great game and it's got great people in it and people who care about each other. To that end, one of my favorite scenes from the film is the reach out program in Ottawa where when an immigrant family from Turkey, got five kids, four of them are playing hockey and this is how they're assimilating and learning about the country. And I just wonder, at the best of times, hockey's difficult for families at times because of finances. Now, post-COVID-19, when everyone is really strapped financially, how will our game evolve to keep up with the realities of Canadians? Is that something that you're concerned about moving forward as well? We'll start with you, Cassie. You know, I'm I'm familiar with, with Hockey Canada and its programs, and, and I'm privy to stats and different things that they have every year. And there's no question that the hockey numbers are declining with the exception of women's hockey, which continues to make sure that hockey in this country is continuing to grow. And I definitely think that coming out of this and even coming into this, I think there was more momentum about talking about race issues in hockey and talking about equality issues in hockey. And we were just coming to that conversation where people could say what they really felt and people could get those messages across. And so I know it's a priority of organizations like Hockey Canada to make sure that hockey is more inclusive, to make sure it's not as expensive as sometimes it can be. But I also think because hockey is so popular in our country, it gets a bad rap. I mean, it's expensive to put your daughter in dance. You know, it's it's expensive to do other activities, but we often use hockey 
as that example because it's it's the number one sport in our country and it's the sport that everyone kind of grew up loving and uh you know for generations and generations but i tell you like kids now they don't even care about race they don't even like they just step on the ice with their teammates and their teammates and and more girls and boys are playing together than ever before and and i think we as adults in the game need to make sure we continue to learn from our children who are the greatest examples sometimes of just playing for the love of the game and uh sometimes i think that'll be a good reminder moving forward for everyone who's involved in minor sport and promoting minor sport and organizing minor sport to make sure that everyone's included and that needs to be a priority for sure. You mentioned minor sports and I'm worried that you know as we get back to some level of normalcy and pro sports come back because there are so many dollars at stake that minor sports would be the last thing to come back and we might lose some minor sports programs because of the new realities. Is that something that concerns you Natalie? For sure. I mean, I think if you look at all this, it all starts at minor sports and there's so many, you know, kids that play. And I think through sports is really where you learn a lot of life lessons for later on. I mean, you learn how to work as a team. You learn how to, your work ethic. I mean, you probably through hockey can prepare for a situation like this with staying positive and, you know, just taking it day by day, game by game, whatever it is. So I think that it will be sad if it's, you know, those grassroots level sports that get the most affected by this. Cause I think it's kids, you know, that are craving the sports, but that also are learning so much through, you know, playing hockey, playing soccer, playing lots of different sports. It is important that hopefully, you know, they take a look at that and, and can somehow make it work. I think everything will be affected and, you know, we don't even really know about our league yet what's going to happen. So it'll be interesting how everything kind of unfolds after this. You mentioned staying positive, Natalie. Your career, in a sense, was in a way on pause because what you are trying to do with the PWHPA, now all sports are on pause as an athlete in your prime, wanting to train, wanting to compete. What has this period been like for you mentally? Yeah, I mean, it's been tough, I think. You know, like I said earlier, with the beginning and the world championships being canceled, that's really the moment when you're trying to peak and you're going to be your best and then having nothing to compete for and deciding, you know, to take the off season now, is it later? And it's almost a really long summer of training now. And there's still uncertainties of when we're going to get back on the ice or, you know, when we're going to be able to get back in the gym. And I think for me, the hardest part is just craving, you know, your teammates and wanting to be around the girls and wanting, you know, to be able to compete and push yourself against them to get better and, finding, you know, that motivation every single day to be able to just push yourself, you know, mentally and physically without having your teammates around them. And I'm sure coming out of this, it's going to make hopefully each one of us better that, you know, we've been able to do that. And once we get back in a group, we'll be able to push even harder. But it's definitely, you know, I think people who love the game, not only love the game of hockey, but they also love, you know, having that family and, and that hockey brings. And I think that that's probably what, what I'm missing the most. Yeah, you lost that platform that the World Championships would have been to be able to you know, really highlight all these issues on a large level. And there was so much mm-hmm. momentum that, that you had built up. And women's sport, I feel in general in the last couple of years, has built up. So let's use this platform to talk a little bit about 
the PWHPA, the Professional Women's Hockey Players Association, and what you're doing. The latest news is that there's going to be a regional approach with tryouts, groups of mm -hmm. 25 players practicing in rinks in New Hampshire and Minnesota and Toronto and Montreal and, and Calgary. You know, I can imagine that Toronto and that Calgary tryout being pretty uh, intense and one to watch. Why was that the smart play for you guys as a collective? Yeah, I mean, I think last year, obviously, it would have been, you know, a year past April that we found out the league was folding. So we didn't have that much time to, you know, throw together um, these training centers, these games. I think we did a good job of being able to do that. And we hit some really unique markets. We, you know, got to go to Arizona, got to go to Philly that don't see a lot of women's hockey. You know, they have NHL teams, but they don't see a lot of women playing. So that was amazing to see all the little girls, you know, out cheering us on. But I think now we're, we're able to kind of take a step back during this time and say, okay, what worked? What didn't work? What do we need as players to make sure that, you know, we still have this competition level? We're still, you know, having the facilities we need. So I think that that's kind of why we've chosen now to go to this. You know, it's going to make it a little bit more competitive having only one team in Toronto. You know, we're going to get more games in, still have those showcases where we can go and hit these markets because I think we we had a lot of success with that and I think we can hopefully, you know, build off of, you know, that momentum we had. Obviously, it would have been amazing to have the World Championships to kind of keep, you know, the women's hockey momentum, but hopefully everyone is craving sports coming out of this and we can kind of pick right back up where we left off and um, get some amazing crowds out at our showcases and and out at our games. Cassie you have a unique perspective because you've literally been in those shoes or skates for this conversation but you also you know have seen the big business of the sport at the highest level if some of the stakeholders involved came to you and said listen whether it's you know partnering with the league like the nhl or having you know sponsors involved what needs to happen for a more substantial not charity in women's sport but investment in women's sport in north america what would you say well, I'd have to say first that being on the outside looking in, you know, the PWHPA last year, just kind of following it and and hearing about it and watching online and, you know, it brought more publicity to the women's game than we've almost had ever. And it was obviously under controversial circumstances as they boycotted another league, but it really sent a message that I think as players, and I felt like this for a long time through my playing career and post-playing career, is when are we going to finally have a real, true professional women's hockey league where these girls are actually paid, not millions of dollars, that's not the point at all, but where they're actually paid, where they're paid more than their expenses, you know, their expenses of gas and, and travel and, and their hotels. And so, you know, I think that is maybe the biggest misperception in women's hockey today is we have never had a professional women's hockey league. We still do not have a professional women's hockey league. And when I was on the board of the CWHL, we said it was professional, but it really wasn't. You know, we were trying to make it sound like it was. And and I think that current standard of operation is still occurring today. Now, I wish the NWHL all the best. I really do, because I know they're passionate about the game. But I will tell you, it's not a model that I think is sustainable because I've been down that road before and I've been in the trenches on the business side of things before. And so my fight has been since the week after I retired in 2006, I was on the phone to Gary Bettman and I'm pushing and we weren't ready as a sport for a, a WNHL at that time. But we are now because these women are talented and they're, they're tremendous players, they're tremendous ambassadors. 
And quite frankly, the ones coming underneath them are even better. And that's the way you want it as a sport. So I continue to fight behind the scenes for a WNHL. I believe they have the infrastructure, the marketing, the communication plans. I mean, let's face it, we've been we've been running women's hockey with a commissioner and three support staff. And the PWHPA is run by Jaina Hefford and a few support staff with the support of Billie Jean King and her foundation. I mean, we exhaust our volunteers. And so we need to have an infrastructure where we can pay employees to do communication. We can pay employees to do marketing. And I know the NHL wants women's hockey in a huge way to become professional. I think there were strides that were probably going to be happening, you know, throughout the playoffs and into June and July that were going to be beneficial for women's hockey from an NHL standpoint. Unfortunately, with COVID, it's kind of pushed us to the back burner again. And obviously, they're just trying to survive and get back to playing and get through this from a business side of things. But we need a real true infrastructure, which is something women's hockey has never had. And it is something for whatever reason, people haven't been willing to give it. And, you know, we've had a lot of people support us, especially at the national level. Um, we've had a lot of people step up in recent years to support our club level. But we need a bigger step and we need a bigger infrastructure. And so that's why I believe the WNHL is the right model. And I believe we're, it's more imminent than it's ever been before. And I know there's at least a dozen NHL teams that want a team. And I think the smart move will be to have about six teams. So we're getting there. It's just when you're in it, you want it to be there faster. You want it to be there now so that you can get an opportunity. And for me, now that I'm finished playing, I just can't wait to the moment when the first professional women's hockey game is actually played. And I can sit in the stands with my daughter and I can have a beer and she can have her popcorn and her drink. And, and I can just be there with her. And that's, that is going to be one of the most amazing moments of my hockey career when that happens. And I believe it will happen. That interest in wanting a team from some organizations, how much does the realities of COVID curtail that or put a pause on it? Because the cost of running a sports team with having diagnostic tests and not having revenue in terms of fans maybe to start changes the economics. How does our realities take the wind out of the sails of potentially an endeavor like the WNHL? Well, I think for me, it's the unknown. You know, um, no one knows anything post-COVID right now. It seems to change every single day. You know, even in hockey, when are we going to come back to play? How is this going to work? What is it going to look like? Um, and I can tell you from personal experience, just having my husband work in the NHL is it does. It's changing every day. And sometimes they have two or three calls a day and it changes from call to call about what's going to happen. And so I think from a business standpoint, it's so up in the air. No one knows what they're going to do. So your priorities change and your priorities are changing daily. And unfortunately, I think for women's hockey, with when it comes to the NHL, I still think we're very, very much a priority. But right now we're being pushed down the list a little bit because of the unknowns and because of the business side of it. And that's the reality for the NHL right now is to try and figure out a way to have a fair Stanley Cup playoffs. And it is the business side of it. Who's kidding who? It is a business. That's what it is. And, you know, that's the great reminder, though, about Scotia Bank Hockey 24, which is coming on Sportsnet on Sunday, is it's going to remind the country about what hockey should be really about, too. So as much as we sit here and talk about business in the NHL and a potential WNHL, I think we need these reminders about what hockey should be about and that sh it should be about more about our grassroots levels. And so I'm looking forward to watching it again on Sunday as it, as it comes on. Natalie, when you are able to play 
again, your body physically is your temple. How comfortable do you feel, you know, being in a contact sport in a world where there are so many unknowns? I think I'll be comfortable. I think, you know, anytime you kind of get your jersey and your equipment on, you're ready to go. But obviously, I think even before we get back into the rinks and, you know, back out on the ice, I'm sure there'll be lots of precautions taken to make sure that, you know, everyone is healthy, maybe who's playing or whatever they decide, you know, those precautions will be. But I think anytime you hit the ice, it's always competition on and um, ready to go. And I think everyone is craving that. So I think as, as soon as, you know, we're, we're allowed to get back out on the ice, I think as players, we will. Cassie, for you, there are so many scenarios on whenever hockey comes back and whether or not it'll be, you know, hub cities and if you'll be traveling, if your husband will be traveling as an essential member of a team, if you're going to be calling games from a monitor from afar, have you thought through what the scenarios would be like for yourself and your family and and how comfortable uh, you would be in the various scenarios? Yeah, I mean, I think every time you think of a scenario of going back to call a game and, and you know, that's what you want to do as a broadcaster is call playoff games. I mean, there's no more fun than doing that other than probably playing, of course. But I think that's the first thing that comes to mind for me is just my uh, health concerns. And, you know, for me, having a daughter here at home, just, you know, if I come back home and I'm sick, you know, it's, it's just, it just doesn't really work for me. But I want to be there hopefully to call the NHL playoff games and I just hope it's a safe environment. And I I really believe that that's a priority right now for, you know, not only the NHL, but I think all of its partners, as much as it's a business, um, you know, they understand that this is bigger than hockey and they have to make sure that it's a healthy environment for everybody. And so I, you know, I've, I'm lucky I've done international hockey a lot over the years. And so I've called games off a monitor in a studio and, I've called games where your producer's in Toronto in a studio and I've, you know, kind of um, used to any scenario. So I'm ready for whatever they throw me into. And, and But that is the question I'm going to ask my bosses is what are our safety precautions when it comes to health and, and COVID and, you know, what kind of action plans do you guys have in place? And, you know, I think like so many people, I'm kind of chomping at the bit to get back and as long as we have a healthy environment to get back to. Because of the timing of this, you know, thankfully, we just were able to squeeze in International Women's Day and the hockey broadcast that was predominantly, you know, produced uh, and fronted by females that, Cassie, you were part of. You're, at this point, not just an inspiration for female hockey players, you're also an inspiration for female broadcasters. For a class of female broadcasters that are going into an uncertain industry right now, I'm sure you get lots of messages and emails for advice. What are you saying to those young girls right now? Well, I think for me, it's just believe you belong. You know, um, I remember, you know, starting with Hockey Night in Canada, my very first time. And, you know, I'm doing the Battle of Alberta and I'm a sideline reporter and I have no idea what I'm doing as far as broadcasting goes, but I know the game of hockey. So, here I am. And and that's sort of my approach to life in general is, you know, if I have something that I'm doing that I've never done before, or I need to kind of come out of my comfort zone, that's what I say to myself, believe you belong. You know, when I was trying to make the national team and was cut twice before making it, I, I would say to myself, believe you belong, you know, you deserve to be here. And, you know, I think those are things you learn from an athlete mindset. And so I use those things in my broadcasting career as well. And, you know, when I started in broadcasting, there weren't really the typical hockey player opportunities for women as they were for men. You know, Gary Galley and I started at the same time. He's an NHL player. 
they, you know, they put them into an analyst role right away. Whereas for me, it was sideline reporter. That was sort of the typical female role. And, and then, you, you know, you got to prove people wrong. Like I deserve to be in that analyst chair. And, and so you get these opportunities and you just try and take advantage of them. And, you know, on that international women's day where I did the broadcast here in Calgary, I mean, that was huge for Sportsnet because they didn't just give us this little regional game. And, you know, thanks for coming out on International Women's Day. They they gave us a national Sunday night game, a game of huge magnitude in the Pacific Division for, you know, Vegas and Calgary. And for Chris and I, it was easy. You know, we we just kind of did our regular job. I, Me as an analyst and her as a sideline reporter. But for Leah Hextall to be the first to do play-by-play, and she's a great friend of mine, and I know how hard she works behind the scenes. It was, in, it was incredible to be there with her and for her. And uh, it was a really fun night. But I, I think now that, and I'm not saying it's just me because there's been other females, you know, in the broadcasting side of things. But I, I do believe now that, producers don't even think twice about hiring a female hockey player right now because they've learned that they know the game. They've learned that they're educated. They learned that they speak well. They have a presence. Um, they can get their thoughts out in 15 seconds and, and they know the game. And there, there's so many similarities between the men's and the women's game now, maybe even more so than when I played. But these young kids now kind of want in the men's side, want to know why they're doing everything. They need more information. And that's the way the women's game has always been. We've always been inclined to want more information. Why are you coaching us this way? Why do I have to do it this way? And so I think we can relate to the current player a lot better, you know, as as women sometimes. And so I, I just think doors have been opened. You know, once, even if when you're the first person to do something, it's not because you deserve to be the first person to do something. There were probably others before you, but you get that chance and you open that door and you crush it. And then other people can step up and do those opportunities. And it's a little bit easier for them because it's now become the norm. Um, but I'm so proud, like Spoons is doing it this year and she's doing such a great job. And, um, you know, we see AJ Valesco in, in the States and, and Kendall Coyne and Tessa Benham and Cheryl Pounder's doing some stuff. And so, you know, I'm just so proud of these women and I'm so proud that they're just finally getting a chance and, and people aren't even thinking twice about giving them one. Canadians no matter where they live, no matter the demographic, they're all coping with a, a very difficult time and all trying to collectively get together um, and get through it together. What can Canadians, when they watch this film, learn about the sport of hockey, the community of hockey, that they can transfer into the real tough situations that they find themselves in right now? Yeah, I mean, I think that this is hopefully going to give you know, Canadians, that little bit of hope to get us over that hump and onto the other side of COVID. I think, you know, in the past, we've seen the hockey community overcome so much. I mean, you know, whether it's um, deaths in the hockey community, um, now this pandemic, I think that just knowing that you're part of this family, this hockey community, it does give you kind of that support that you need. And even though it can't be, you know, someone right beside you, it's, it's there. And I hope that you know, this movie shows that and that everyone can relate to it and, um, you know, feel like they're part of, you know, the Scotiabank and the hockey family. You know, I think for me, Scotiabank Hockey 24 is just going to help us all kind of get through what we're trying to get through. You know, we, we all have our challenges at home and, you know, we're all struggling, you know, to some degree and we're all trying to be positive and we're all trying to have some normalcy in our life. Um, so I think there's so many examples in this documentary about 
teamwork and helping each other and helping your communities, you know, um, trying to be positive, overcoming adversity. Uh, you know, we talked about inclusion earlier. There's examples of that. You know, there's examples of dedication, you know, the parents getting up at 5.30. And, um, you know, I think there's things in this film that are going to help us all have a smile on our face for 10 minutes after or an hour after or for 24 hours after. I think it's going to be a great moment for families to get together on a Sunday night, spend time together on the couch, enjoy a sport that we all love and and put a smile on people's face. And I, and I really believe that. And I pretty much smiled through the whole thing. It lifted me when I watched it. And um, so I hope it does the same for the rest of the Canadians. And I truly think it will. Well, both of you have done that um, individually and you continue to do that. So thank you. Uh, if you want to follow them at Cassie Campbell and at Nat Spooner 5, if you want to follow the film, hockey24.film is the website. 7 p.m. Eastern on Sunday, May 24th, airs again at 11.30 p.m. It's the broadcast premiere of Hockey 24, a film by Canada on Sportsnet. Uh, if you want to see it in French on Sunday, May 31st at 9 p.m., it will air on TVI and it's commercial free and will also stream as part of Hot Docs 2020. Thank you both. Continued success and continued safety and health. And I hope to see you smiling at an arena soon. Thank you for the great combo. Thanks so much. All right. Cheers. See you, Spoons. See you, Cass. All right, Donovan, it's uh, time for our last word segment where we like to pass on something of note, either service-oriented or just even stuff that we've read this week or seen this week that really stayed with us. And this is not COVID-19 related, although it is something that I think people who are trying to find some stuff to read and are looking for some stuff to do at home would really appreciate. There's a writer at Yahoo Sports named Henry Bushnell, and he's gone about over the last couple months of finding people from the 1980 United States Olympic team that could not compete at the Moscow Olympics because the Americans, and specifically Jimmy Carter, decided to boycott those games because of the Soviet Union and what they were sort of doing in Afghanistan. And I found this, Donovan, so fascinating to read about some of these uh, athletes who I'd never heard of before, swimmers and track and field people, who were the best of the best in 1979, 1980, looked like surefire gold medal or, or medal winners, having those athletic dreams end. And then, and this is where the real sort of cruelty comes, the ones who could not get back in 1984 and get back on that team, or even the ones who got eventually to go to an Olympics and maybe finished fourth or fifth because they weren't in their athletic prime. So it's a multiple part series. Henry Bushnell of Yahoo Sports. The uh, title of the piece, I believe, is called The Ghost Olympians, The Lives Forever Changed by the 1980 Boycott. And I have to admit, I just, I found that topic fascinating. You know what? I heard about that and I meant to consume it and, and bookmark it and I never did. So thank you for the reminder. And hopefully that's not the case for our 2020 slash 2021 now Olympians. For those who enjoyed 
uh, the conversation that we had with Natalie and with Cassie about hockey and when it might come back. Give a read to Elliot Friedman, our colleague here at Sportsnet, um, his recent 31 Thoughts column about the NHL and the NHLPA working on a 24-team conference-based playoff setup. So Cassie mentioned that the model changes sometimes daily for the NHL. Elliot goes into why that is the case. In terms of sports coming back in general, uh, I know we all want them back, but John Oliver and his amazing show last week tonight with John Oliver, this week he sets his sights on sports and sports coming back. And maybe that might not necessarily be the best thing in all cases. He eviscerates in some cases, some people who want their sports back without any caution to what that might mean for the greater society. It's a really, really good, entertaining, funny, and at times sad portrayal by John Oliver. But though sports shutting down was emphatically the right thing to do, people have increasingly been asking when they can return, and few have asked louder than this guy. I hope football can start, and I told them I think you might be able to. They may very well be able to. I hope they can start, and I hope they can start with people in the stands. The fans want to be back, too. You know, they want to see basketball and baseball and football and hockey. They want to see their sports. We have to get our sports back. I'm tired of watching baseball games that are 14 years old. But I haven't actually had too much time to watch. I would say maybe I watch one batter and then I get back to work. Okay. But here's the thing, we actually asked some experts about that, and it turns out that when the country's in the middle of a pandemic that's killing many thousands of Americans every single week, the correct number of batters from 2006 for the president to be watching is actually King Zero. So give that a watch when you can. You have been consuming this readily when you can, so thank you so much for that. Continue to like, favorite, share, subscribe. And if you, again, enjoyed this conversation, episode 10 on what's next for women's professional sports might be of interest, especially for our hockey fans. Our conversation with Donald Fear in episode four and what the NHL must do to get back on the ice would be of interest as well. Of interest for us is for you to continue to stay safe. So continue to take care of yourself and others.